Every now and then, I meet someone who's changing the world for the better by their sheer will alone. Whether they're authors, activists, or adventurous, these people are blazing a path with their deep enthusiasm and allowing the world to follow. Their passion is strong, and my passion is to tell their stories. I am Brian Platt, and this is Passion Project. Hey, what's going on, everyone? In this podcast, I talk with Sarah Marriott. She's a research assistant getting her PhD in environmental science and policy at George Mason University. So a few things about this episode. Um, forget the background music. We were in a coffee shop, so there's a little bit of um, you know, jazz in the background. Uh, a few times I was clearing my throat, so apologies for that. Shame on me. And also, um, I forgot to say the letter D in PhD when I first announced her. Um, so I understand that's kind of an important part. So I guess blame that on the fact that I didn't have enough coffee. But um, I'm sure everyone's going to love this podcast. Sarah's a wealth of knowledge um, and really dives deep into a lot of these uh, subjects about fisheries and um, fish stocks. So, yeah, I hope you enjoy. And one more thing, sorry. Um, so we just looked at some tuna facts and there are actually four stocks. And it is the southern bluefin that is critically endangered, not the South Pacific tuna. So there are three species, the Atlantic, which has got two stocks, Eastern and Western Atlantic, the Pacific, that's got a single stock, and the Southern, that's got a single stock. So just for clarification there. Anyways, thanks and enjoy. All right, so I'm here with Sarah Marriott. She's a PhD student at GMU in environmental science and policy, and she's studying fisheries management. Hey, Sarah, how are you doing? Great, how are you doing? I'm doing well, I'm doing well. Um, I'm really excited for this podcast. First of all, you seem to be a wealth of knowledge. Um, you know, we were just talking just before. Um, but yeah, also have an incredible amount of experience. So do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so um, my background is in marine biology. And I started getting into fisheries science um, because I really enjoy eating seafood. And I was learning more and more about how our fisheries are um, at risk and wanted to figure out a way to protect them so I could continue to enjoy seafood yeah. forever. <laughs> so how, like, what made you, what were the first things you noticed that, that you know, the risk of the fisheries, the risk of the fish stocks? Hmm, first things I noticed, well, um, a lot of what I started to learn um, was back in high school and um, learning about sort of overfishing of tuna mm -hmm. was a big one. And tuna is very popular in sushi. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I really like sushi. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and just, it just, um, builds on itself like over time so um yeah yeah tuna is a good one to be brought into immediately because mm -hmm. they are first obviously sushi but they're actually pretty rad like they're they're warm-blooded like they yeah. swim fast and far like they're uh -huh. a really amazing um creature if like studied at all mm -hmm. or painted. they're enormous um yeah that was one of the first ones that i kind of noticed was like you know the bluefin is mm -hmm. almost extinct or is almost going to be an issue yeah, the definitely so in for bluefin there's 
going to say five different stocks. Might be mistaken on that one. Um, and so a stock is defined by like a area or a population of fish that mm -hmm. is sort of fished as one unit. Um, and are they managed? By yes. Okay. So yeah. Okay. So stocks are managed. They should be managed in like these sure. man in these like unit type things. Uh, and so in the Atlantic, we have two stocks, maybe three. Um, you have the North Atlantic tuna and the South Atlantic tuna. Uh, and then in the Pacific, you have the South Pacific tuna. And then, and that's the one that I think is the most critically endangered is in okay. the Pacific. Um, the ones <clears throat> in the Atlantic are not critically endangered, but they are, I think, threatened. I would have to look at the exact status. Yeah, of yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, so they are managed and fished in the United States or the North Atlantic tuna is fished in the United States and it's very highly regulated. Gotcha. Um, but it is a species of concern that we should be concerned about uh, because they have these really, really long life spans. I mean, they don't reproduce until they're seven. Yeah. And they're huge. Like I saw some when I was working, I used to work on um, long line vessels as an observer and like I just got to experience like working um, on these fishing boats catching these like massive like 500 700 pound tuna. Oh yeah, they're enormous. Yeah. They're, I've always known they were big, but when you actually see someone catch them, they are huge. They're, right? I mean, it just Ridiculous. blows your mind. They're beautiful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are. Mm -hmm. And uh, so when you're saying we, are you just saying the U.S. as a whole? Like those are our quote-unquote stocks or is that just stocks that are managed by different countries and like yeah. how does that relationship flesh out or so for tuna there are international cooperations okay. um because they're classified as highly migratory species right they're gonna travel all over the place yeah so, so they go from the gulf of mexico all the way to canada like wow. an individual fish i think can do that um yeah. and potentially to the Mediterranean. I believe it. Um, and so I know the Mediterranean is a spawning ground for bluefin. Okay. Um, and then they come out to the Atlantic and whether or not they cross the Atlantic, I think is up for a conflict debate right now. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's a lot of people who are trying to prove that there's a link between the Mediterranean stock and the um, Interesting. Western Atlantic stock, which is ours. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, they, it's international. Um, there's international regulations that we have to adhere to, but also the United States has their own like set of regulations as well. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So on top of those mm -hmm. other regulations. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah. And how do they manage? I mean, it's obviously not, you know, quarantined off, mm -hmm. but like, how do they manage them because they've got to travel so far? They, they're they tagged or they like <laughs> no no it's just by um, catch limit so okay. uh, it's by gear and catch limit so what type of gear is a boat using and that will determine how many fish they're allowed to catch um so for example long line boats are roughly they get a poundage 
they're allowed to catch a certain amount of pounds, which works out to about like six bluefin per year. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's, that seems manageable. Mm -hmm. um, and how, okay, so that gets you in, right? That yeah. gets your foot in the door. That gets your interest. Where does it go from there? Where does, you know, how did you know, okay, uh, further than interest, I'm, I'm, in, I'm invested in this. Like, this is my life. This is exactly what I'm going to be doing. Um, I don't, I mean, this is going to sound so corny, but <laughs> like, I Let's... mean, the sea, like, I love the sea. Like, I love, it just, like, calls to me. Um, working. It does not sound corny at all. I mean, I, get it. I know, like, being in Wellington. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Uh, but also, um, also on those boats, like really getting the exposure. Like I'm a guest on these fishermen's boats. Yeah. Like they are required to have me there. You know, they're not always happy to have was, an yeah. observer on board, but you have a, a real opportunity to work with a direct stakeholder of these policies. And they are fishing not because they want to, you know, strip the ocean of all these resources yeah. they're fishing because they're feed they want to feed their families they want to feed america mm -hmm. and they're working really hard like the hardest workers ever mm -hmm. um in order to do this and i mean they're it's their life and you have to be able to connect with them in order to really make effective policy later down the line yeah otherwise if they're against you like, if you don't communicate appropriately, it just, you can't get things done. That's something, I've talked to a lot of people from a lot of different nonprofits mm -hmm. around the world, mm -hmm. and that's like the thing that they say yeah. time and time again. And it's what separates the successful ones from the unsuccessful ones. So a really good example of this is um, a boat that I was on, or a captain that uh, of a boat that I was on. And where was this? Um, it was in, it was off in North Carolina. Okay. And the captain was sort of giving me a rough time, like rougher than most boat captains. And um, he, he basically just said, like, why are you here? Why are you doing this? Are you just some environmentalist? And like, yes, I'm an environmentalist. But at that moment, that was not the correct response. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, did you say yes? No, no, okay. no. I definitely did not say yes. Like, I took off my environmentalist hat while I'm on the boat. And yeah, I say, I mean, what I said was like, look, I'm here because I want to learn about this industry. And I hope that by working with you and by learning um, things as an observer, I can use that knowledge in order to make better policies and help um american fishermen down the line yeah and he just was like blown i mean he was speechless um he said that nobody had ever said that to him before really yeah and like yeah that's perfect that was just it so did you remember it for later for in case someone else asked you <laughs> Oh yeah, absolutely yeah. no and i mean it's not just a line like it's truly how I yeah. feel. So, um, like American fisheries, I think are really important to, um, the sustainability of fisheries overall, because America has some of the best regulated fisheries. Mm -hmm. Um, and 
not if if we don't have a supply from from American fishermen, the demand isn't going to go away, and that demand is going to be gapped by foreign imports. Somewhere else, yeah, which is yeah. what we're talking about at first. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, before we even start recording, but yeah, that seems to be a tricky situation and something mm-hmm. to be conveyed. That I'm sure, something I'm sure that American fishermen are pretty acutely aware of. They are, yes. <laughs> Either their catch is going overseas mm-hmm. or, you know, a lot of stuff is being imported um, and their, their jobs are being, are on the line because of mm-hmm. it. So if you think about it that way, then you are absolutely in their corner. Yeah. You know, for the long run, especially. <laughs> absolutely. And I think any, most people working in fisheries, I think, feel that way overall maybe i shouldn't speak for everyone but i for many people that i've spoken with it's very much um we want to see the success of fisheries in the long term um like we're there is an aspect of conservation but there's also this economic and um like prosperity aspect to it i mean you you started off saying you love to eat fish i mean (laughs) we're not going to change that we're Uh not going to change people's desire to eat fish it's healthy food if you know sourced properly mm-hmm. um and there is a way to mm-hmm. get both uh to have to, to be an environmentalist but also to you know to understand that there's a whole industry behind it that needs yes. to survive um okay and so let's chat a little bit about like the obstacles that you've encountered like we've kind of talked about them a little bit but even you know that we have a lot of foreign fish or even mm-hmm. uh, you know other other fish stock issues I'm sure there's no there's no end to them so yeah um, with foreign imports uh, that is something that I have become really interested in um, especially with in relationship to wanting to support American uh, fisheries um, somewhere between 60 and 90 percent of fish sold in the United States is imported um, and some of that is because American catch is being shipped abroad to be processed and then coming back yeah it's just crazy it's like <laughs> I know cheaper to freeze it to ship it somewhere yeah. and to I don't even know to debone it freeze it exactly and, it and bring it back here than it is to ship it Yep. <laughs> Nationally, within the states. It's it's sort of, it's a little sad. I've read, um, yeah, I've read Paul Greenberg's, uh, mm-hmm. uh, for, well, excuse me, American Cash. Um, and that's exactly what it was about. Yep. And I just downloaded that. Um, <laughs> that's a really good book. And, yeah, so this, uh, having imports, um, as I said, just fills this demand gap because the United States has such uh, a large demand for seafood um, that we can't fully supply it with our own fisheries. And um, that is, I mean, fine, except, yeah, that makes sense. except that we need to make sure that the food that we're importing is up to the same standards um, that we have for our own fishermen because mm-hmm. if we care about sustainability we should care that the imported seafood is also sustainable not just regulating our own seas 
because the oceans are connected and just because your impact, like just because at home you're doing the right thing, but you're eating something from another country that isn't doing the right thing, right. that's still going to impact your home. Mm-hmm. So we have to think like systems wide and um, make sure that we do hold other nations to the same standards that we hold our own. And they're making progress with that. Um, but what nations? I know China's a big one, Vietnam's a big one. Yeah, Vietnam, um, Indonesia, okay. a lot of those Southeast Asian countries where there's a lot of shrimp farming. Yeah, shrimp farming. Um, yeah, shrimp farming's the worst. Um, in terms of deforestation of mangrove habitats, uh, which really decreases the quality of uh, the water quality. Uh, It impacts coral reefs. It is just devastating to the environment out there. Um, And also the way that the farms work, they are um, putting in a lot of chemicals and a lot of antibiotics and copper and um they're intentionally putting in copper i think so i think it's part of an antibiotic like a they're they're basically growing these shrimp in very highly concentrated manner and it it doesn't it it just isn't good to consume those things Mm -hmm. or at least potentially is not good to consume those things um and it's not really regulated or tested um yeah, you were saying earlier, like 2% of yeah. imported seafood is regulated or tested. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's scary because we could do 65 to 90%. <laughs> right. Day. So, and um, like as time goes on, hopefully we get better at regulating what comes in. I know that we've done, um, po- we've made positive moves towards making sure foreign tuna is dolphin safe. Um, okay. So things that are uh, tuna that's imported, yeah. So we have bycatch rules um, for making sure that yes, everything in the United States will be dolphin safe, but a lot of our tuna is also imported. So how is that imported sure. tuna? Is that dolphin safe? So we have those. I'm pretty sure we implemented that a few years ago. Yeah. Okay. Um, and like turtle exclusion devices, I know right. we have those on mm-hmm. American ships. And that was invented by fishermen. So that is another nice little circular moment where being friends with fishermen is really good because they have, they're on the water more than anyone and they know how to make their gear better. Mm -hmm. Um, And so turtle excluder devices were invented by fishermen and help, and they helped get that policy implemented. Nice. Mm -hmm. And they know, I mean, they're not, you know, fishing for turtles. They no, don't want that. Anything they're not that can fishing. slow them down. That, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, awesome. Yeah, and we're we're touching upon it right now, but you mentioned the one thing that you get asked about all the time is like, how do I make sure my seafood is safe? And there's a kind of a flow of, you know, is it this? Is it that? Do you want to tell us a little bit about how you, um, you know, the process in which you uh, grade <laughs> seafood? I guess. Or, yeah, so this and how I like to do it, and this is definitely like the question I get asked the most out of everything 
because like research is boring, right? So I want to know exactly <laughs> what I can eat when I'm at the supermarket. So I get these calls from like family and friends all the time. Um, and basically, um, how I like to look at it, and there's tons of resources anyway online. I mean, there's Monterey Bay Seafood. Yeah, they they're, have they're right. a fantastic resource. MSC, the Marine Stewardship Council, also has a great online resource. Um, so there's definitely, there's there's pocket ways if you don't have a pocket, Sarah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Monterey Bay's got a great app. Yeah, they have uh, a great app. Yeah. So, uh, but anyway, besides the app, uh, it's definitely still overwhelming because you can see, like, on the app, it's like, well, this long line caught, yes, but if it's long line caught from this place, no. So it gets very confusing. Sure, um, yeah. So first and foremost, I like to make sure that I'm buying USA caught seafood. Um, and like with any food system, you want to, if you're trying to be sustainable, buying things that are close to you are always the best because it has the least like travel and transportation. Right, yeah. um, so one time I was at a supermarket in New Jersey after I had come off a long line boat and I saw some tuna that was like long line USA cops like cool that's off one of my boats perfect and then I saw from Hawaii and oh, I was okay. like Yes, that is USA caught <laughs> 6,000 miles away <laughs> yeah. when 20 miles away is a boat that I just that just had a whole hold of tuna. So I didn't buy that tuna because I felt a little like weird about it being 6,000 yeah, miles strange. away. <laughs> um, and obviously like in the middle of the country, like there's... Yeah. So most seafood is flown around. Um, so it's pretty fresh regardless. Um, but so USA caught number one, because I think we should support American fishermen. We should support our regulations because we have some of the best in the world. Which in turn supports American fishermen and the fish stock is just having that extra yeah, set of regulations. Exactly. So there you go. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, you are looking after the fishermen. <laughs> <laughs> you are looking after the sustainability of the, of the whole species. Yep. And number two, um, if there's this, <laughs> There's also this farmed versus wild caught debate, and that really depends on again where it's sourced versus um, where uh, it or like how the farming practices are. So I already mentioned like shrimp farming. I wouldn't buy farmed shrimp from Asia at all personally, um, but farm shrimp from the Gulf of Mexico is a little bit better. Um, again, U.S. regulations um, make it a little bit better. Uh, I also eat wild-caught shrimp from the United States. Uh, East Coast shrimp. Love me some East Coast shrimp. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but I really, like, when I come down to North Carolina from D.C., I go home with, like, four pounds of shrimp. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and... Uh, there's also like I get well isn't farm salmon bad well there's always like bad actors in any industry but I don't think on a whole that we can discount farm salmon Um, I think it's really vital and farm seafood especially US farm seafood is so vital to making sure that we can meet our seafood demand if we don't want to continuously import. And there's nothing wrong with importing seafood. It's just 
making sure that everything is being everything's responsible yeah. um, and you have it's the most harder. it's yeah it's harder um, so you have the most control over that when it's on sort of your home turf yeah. um, and it's good for jobs and like the economy if we have this whole new industry of yeah. farm seafood that we don't really have but that Asia like China has been has had aquaculture for like thousands of years so that's a very well developed industry over there while here we're very hesitant to jump into it um other than like oysters and scallops Um, and we have lots of clamming aquaculture and oyster aquaculture which most people don't have a problem with because it has all these very positive um environmental benefits Mm -hmm. with cleaning up uh local water but i think that we can find like a very happy balance with a aquaculture future um, yeah. either onshore aquaculture which is more expensive um, or just being better at offshore aquaculture as well yeah yeah that's an important distinction to make it's just just because it's farmed mm-hmm. does not mean it's bad it mm-hmm. actually means it's helping feed us. exactly um, you know we've, there's a high demand in this country for fish for seafood and it's not always that easy to, to mm-hmm. catch them or even possible to catch it a while yeah um, i mean i'm pretty sure the far or the atlantic salmon fishery um doesn't really exist anymore yeah i think the atlantic salmon is gone yeah i, I think there's a i mean you correct me if i'm wrong but i think the only place in, the only state in the nation is, is alaska that still has well, salmon. right, and Washington and I think oh, cool. Oregon. Okay. Yeah, I think they all have wild salmon. Um, but That's better than I That's good. but Atlantic salmon, not unless it's like Scotland, like Norway, uh, yeah. like America doesn't really have an Atlantic <clears throat> salmon wild fishery anymore. Um, and so the only way you get Atlantic salmon is if it's shipped from Norway or Scotland, which is really, really good and high quality, so that's fine. Um, And farmed Norwegian salmon is great. Um, The EU, Norway's not part of the EU, but, (laughs) but Europe, (laughs) Norway and like other European countries, uh, their standards are pretty high. So um, it's, they're good choices. Well, perfect. And that's, um, yeah. And to further complicate things, mm-hmm. you know, we've got farm fresh, local, international. Um, well, on top of that, there is like, you were mentioning farmed and international. It's kind of a combination that you don't, that you leave alone. Yeah. Um, I would avoid it personally, um, just as much as possible um understandably like if you're out in restaurants like and you see that there's a local fish option i would pick that but i know restaurants are really hard to truly know what you're getting um just because there is no common naming conventions for fish So sometimes what you think you're getting may not be what you're really getting. And um, there's no one to really blame for that at the moment. 
it's just what the practice is. Um, so there's like the common, so this is sort of under this name or umbrella of what is called like seafood fraud. And um, it has to do, or seafood mislabeling, where you have a species of fish, and a species of fish is a very defined thing. It has a scientific name. But once you put that in, like fillet it, put it into a ice box and put a common name on it, it doesn't really matter. There's no regulation about what a scientific species of fish can be called. It's just marketing. It's just mar- yeah, yeah exactly. it's just marketing. So, for example, Oceana did this huge seafood mislabeling study a few years back, and um, they found like a large percentage of red things that are called red snapper, mostly in sushi restaurants, is actually tilapia. Mm. Um, so if you see red snapper on the menu at a sushi restaurant, you're most likely eating tilapia like 80% of the time. Wow. wow. <laughs> and there's this other fish, which is actually an important one. And it's not, and sure, like if it was just a marketing issue um, where they're trying to upsell like a trash species, like it'd be fine, but there's also health concerns behind mm-hmm. some of these things or even like, other dietary restrictions. Um, so and it's a super slippery slope. And right? it's a slippery slope. So if you have, oh, white tuna. So that's the other big sushi one. Um, if white tuna is not a tuna, that just does, it doesn't yeah, exist. Say, like, doesn't sound, it's not an albacore. So it's not a skipjack. Like it's certainly not yellowfin or bluefin mm-hmm. or big eye, which all have red meat. So the only white in quotations <laughs> tunas would be skipjack albacore. Yeah. yeah. And it's probably not albacore. And it's probably <laughs> not albacore because the white tuna that you get is this very, um, very thick, very opaque, white, shiny fish. And what it really is is a fish called escolar or oil fish. Uh, which is or it's a type of oil fish and that fish is actually banned in Japan because it causes like dietary distress oh, or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is yeah which is crazy so and granted like in a sushi portion of it it's not gonna cause you a lot of problems but you should know what you're eating yeah. like it's not good to label a trash fish like escolar tuna if we have regulations <laughs> that the fishermen have to abide by, then we should have the same or similar regulations mm-hmm. that restaurants have to abide by. Right. That's... Or like supply chain. Or yes. Like, okay, so yeah. we don't technically know where along the lines those mislabelings are happening. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I agree. <laughs> wow. We should have some sort of naming conve- conventions for that. Um, yeah, and I'm sure that makes it really difficult for you. Right, you've got these different categories, um, but kind of discerning which category they belong to, the fish belongs to, uh, is probably half the battle. So you have like you know, farm versus fresh. Farm doesn't necessarily mean it's bad, especially if it's United States farm. It's probably the way we're feeding a lot of people. Otherwise, it would be very, very difficult to do it all fresh. Um, if not impossible, then you have local and international. Again, local is probably better, but that's not to say international is exactly bad. Um, 
third catch-all bucket. It's like, mm-hmm. is this even what we think it is? Um, that probably makes your job super tough. How has like overall awareness into these issues trended? And then on top of that, like, has have you seen the actual fish stocks respond in kind? So first, I think, I hope that there has been a upward trend in awareness of these issues. Um, I, at least I've been getting a lot of questions about it. And I don't know if that's because the people that I surround myself with, I talk to a lot about this subject. So they start to ask me questions. (laughs) But I think that there is like a pretty basic knowledge amongst most people, at least about um, how the fisheries are um, sort of responding or these big button, like hot topic or hot button issues. Mm -hmm. Um, So... I think there is increasing awareness and I would love for it to continue to increase because I think in all things, it's important to know what you are consuming and what you're buying. Um, It's only fair to yourselves and it's only fair to the suppliers. Um, So you wouldn't want to like go to a coffee shop and order your favorite drink and then them give you like something completely different. So why would you accept that same level of difference um, in your seafood? Um, or find out it was sourced like right. terribly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah I get that. <laughs> and then on, so the second half of that question um, was. Yeah. So how have the trends of the overall um, fisheries, right. have they increased? So there, so that's a hard question to answer. (laughs) (laughs) It's very dependent. Um, It also takes a really, really long time for fish stocks to rebound. Um, Most of these regulations were implemented in the 70s after a lot of fisheries collapsed. Um, So there was like these mass collapses of fisheries. Fishermen went out of business or out of work um in canada there was a moratorium on cod in the 1990s where all fish like no longer could not catch any cod anymore in canada mm. and it just destroyed whole like whole communities um and since then cod has been coming back so it's very much a success story but um it's 20 plus years since that has happened. So it takes a really, really long time for these fish to respond to regulations. And it means that we have to have this very long-term policy uh, stance where we make sure that what we're doing isn't just like a political cycle. We want this to with like withstand multiple political cycles yeah, and yeah. be this vision that we want for our like larger community or like local community, nationwide community, and global community to really have um, a sustainable food source because fish really can be a sustainable food source. Yeah, absolutely. Sarah, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate that. That was great. We'll make sure to do it again and dive deeper into some of these other subjects. Cool. Yeah, thank you. 
Thanks for joining. If you liked that episode, feel free to rate, view, and subscribe. That actually really helps. If you haven't seen it yet, take a look at the accompanying blog. Don't forget your boots.com, where you can read more and see photos for all the interviews. Until next time. Take care.